Welcome to the Vine Church. We look forward to experiencing community with you. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at thevinegoshen.org. Enjoy the message. Are we all awake this morning? Awesome. Well, my name is Jenna. I am on staff here. If you've never met me before, please come and say hi. I would love to meet you. And I get the privilege today of launching us into our brand new sermon series, which is New Year, New Me, Same God. Now, if you haven't been with us before for New Year's, normally once a year around New Year's, we do a sermon called My One Word. And it's kind of this process of pausing and kind of praying over what God has for us for this next year. We try to summarize it in one word and we just focus on it prayerfully. We're not going to do that today. (laughs) It's a great spiritual practice. If you want to do it, I encourage it. It's really, really is great. But I want to take a step back today because I think today we need to talk about new identity because New Year's is a time of identity. We pause, we have self-reflection. We think about what do we want to do? What do we want to be? What do we want to accomplish in this next year? And the very churchy answer that I could stand up here and I could immediately give you is only God can give us our true identity. And yes, that is true. But I want to dive a little bit deeper than that today. I want to dive into what's kind of this process of taking on that new identity. What does the process of taking on a new identity look like? So when I think about identity, I immediately think about names. Because like your name is the most basic part of your identity. And now my name is Jenna. And I don't know about you. I used to be really interested in what the meaning of names are. And I've been told there's apps for this now. But like when my aunts were pregnant, there was like a book. There was a legitimate thick book, A through Z, of baby names with their meanings. And so I get it. I flip it open. I find Jenna. And it says Jenna is a derivative of Jennifer, meaning white. Or it can mean little bird. So basically, I am a white little bird. (laughs) If you're watching online, or maybe you've never met me in person and you don't understand why this is so incredibly ironic, I know that I look short online Trust me, I am shorter in person. (laughs) I know I actually had a guy tell me this before. I got off stage after preaching one Sunday, never met him, shook his hand, we're chatting. And then he gives this really confused look on his face. And he just goes, you know, you looked short on stage, but you are shorter in person. (laughs) I get it. I am very short and very pale. Thank you, mom and dad, for an incredibly fitting name. I am a white little bird. (laughs) Names are our identity. They change the way we see ourselves and the way we see others. And we can actually change our names to signify a change of identity. You get married, you change your name, or maybe you change it as you get older. I have a cousin, his name is Michael. And I recently learned that his friends have started to call him Mike. Like, I don't know if I am emotionally prepared enough, nor am I old enough for you to be a Mike. Okay, it, it changes. 
It changes the way we think about people. And so that's actually one of the first steps in this process of taking on a new identity is sometimes we need a name change. You know, the Old Testament authors, they knew this. This is why if you're reading the Old Testament and you come across a name, pay attention. Because more often than not, the author is trying to tell you something about the character and about the nature of the person you're reading about. For instance, in Genesis, very first book of the Bible, we get Adam, and Adam is actually the word Adam, and it means human. So it can be the name Adam, or it might just be referring to humans, male and female. You know, we meet another character, his name is Nimrod, and it means let us rebel. And if you follow his story, you find out that the cities he founds are some of the most corrupted and evil nations that fight against God's people. It's a fitting name. We even meet Naomi in the book of Ruth, and she loses her husband and her sons, and she says, call me Mara. She changes her name to Mara, which means bitterness. And so we have these stories where the names tell us something about the character and the nature, about the identity of the person. And we also get these stories in the Old Testament where God chooses to change the name of somebody because he's changing their identity. And so we're actually, we're going to focus on one of those stories. We are going to be focusing on the story of Jacob And we're going to focus on his story, not only because Jacob gets a new name, but because there's a lot in his story about this process of taking on a new identity. So who is Jacob? Well, we meet Jacob in Genesis, Genesis 25. He is one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. When people would refer to God, they would actually refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he is like a key biblical figure in the early biblical story. So we should be paying attention. And we're told that Jacob's name means heel grabber. Because when he's born, he actually is born holding on to the heel of his twin brother Esau. But again, the Old Testament authors know what they're doing. And heel grabber is actually a very big metaphor. It is a potent metaphor. We get all the way back in Genesis 3, and it's a metaphor for someone who is deceptive, someone who plans to bring down another. Essentially, Jacob means deceiver, which is like totally unfair to all the Jakes I know. Because like every Jacob I've ever met is a totally sweet person. So Jacobs, please don't take this personally. But the authors, they are telling us something about the character and about the nature of this Jacob. And what we find when we read his, so- his story is a series of stories where he lives up to his namesake as deceiver. So here's the Cliff Notes version If you like reality TV shows, pay attention because it is all drama. Okay, Jacob, normally the older sibling, who in this case Esau, would have gotten a double portion of inheritance and he would have gotten a bigger blessing from his father. And Jacob goes and deceives him out of both things. 
So now, afraid that Esau is going to kill him, he runs away, he goes to live with his uncle Laban, decides to work for Laban for seven years because he wants to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. But when it becomes time to marry Rachel, Laban gives him a taste of his own medicine. He tricks Jacob into marrying his other daughter, Leah, and says, hey, don't worry, bro. You still want Rachel? Just work for me for another seven years. So he ends up working for Laban for 14 years, marries both of his daughters. Jacob is a horrible husband and father. He causes so much hurt because he loves Rachel, but not Leah. So much hurt arises. We don't have time to go into it. Just know Jacob is not getting a number one dad mug anytime soon. And he actually ends up getting pitted into this battle of wits with Laban. Laban keeps trying to undermine and change the wages that he's agreed to give Jacob. And in turn, Jacob comes up with a scheme that actually increases his own wealth at the cost of Laban's wealth. And so after he kind of accumulates all this wealth, his family grows, he decides, you know what, I'm going to go home. I'm going to head back on home to my dad's household. And he sneaks away like Laban wouldn't know. And on the way back, he has to face Esau. And he finds out, hey, not only does Esau know you're coming, but he's coming to meet you with an army of 400 men. So what does Jacob do? They stop to camp out a river and Jacob gets his wives, his kids, all of his possessions, and he sends them ahead of him across the river while he camps on the other side. Why? Because if Esau attacks, he's gonna attack the larger group. And Jacob isn't with them, which means he will have a chance to escape. Again, he is not getting a number one dad mug anytime soon. But here, alone and afraid, wondering what tomorrow has in store for him, we get this really weird story where Jacob wrestles with a man and this man ends up being God. And so this is the story we're going to focus on today. We're going to find it in Genesis 32, starting with verse 24. I'm going to give you a second to get there. So Genesis 32. Verse 24, it says this. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. 
You know, what immediately strikes me as funny about this passage, he asked for Jacob's name. Like he's God. He already knows Jacob's name. But remember, sometimes the process of taking on a new identity means we need a name change. And see, God is not asking his name because he's dealing with a name issue. He's asking for Jacob's name because he's dealing with an identity issue. Because see, over and over his life, Jacob, the name deceiver, has been spoken over him and it has shaped his identity. His brother Esau even says, isn't it right that his name is Jacob? Because he's deceived me twice. This is an identity that has shaped him. My name is Jenna, but I've had other names spoken over my life. Names that I've carried with me that have shaped my identity. And I know that you have yours too. Names that you have carried with you that have shaped your identity. Weak, lazy, ugly, idiot, worthless. If we were to examine the story of our life, what names would we find written on the pages? But God's answer to Jacob, I think that's his answer to us today, which is, you will no longer be. You will no longer be. Do we hear how profound that is? That's such an important statement because it's not a denial of the past. It's not saying, hey, the things that have been done to you, the things that you have done, they don't matter. They never happened. God didn't have a conversation with Jacob and he's like, oh, no, honey, sweetie. No, you did nothing wrong. You're not a deceiver. No, we know Jacob's story. We know he ain't no hero. He did nothing to deserve a blessing. And yet the great news for Jacob and the even better news for us today is that God's blessings aren't based on performance. They're based on grace. And there's some of us here who are in desperate, desperate need of a name change. And God says, your name will no longer be. Your name will no longer be weak. It will be kind. Your name will no longer be lazy. You will be called peaceful. You will no longer be called worthless. You will be called redeemed. See, where we as humans could look at the story of Jacob's life and just see how he has won battle after battle with deceit, God changes it. He reshapes it. He redeems it. And he gives him a new name, Israel, which means to wrestle with God. Or in some translations, it says, because you have persevered, we see battles of deceit. And God says, those will no longer be a testimony of your deceit, but of your perseverance. And what God gives us is a new name, a new identity so that we can have a new future. So sometimes the process of taking on a new identity means that we need a new name. The second thing that we can learn from Jacob's story is that a new identity is a physical 
process. See, Jacob, he was in desperate need of an identity shift. God could have given him a dream. He could have whispered in his ear. He could have wrote it on a stone tablet if he wanted to. But he shows up in person, physically, and he wrestles with Jacob. See, a new identity, it's a physical process because we are physically embodied people. Our God created us with physical bodies and he said it is very good. And our savior, Jesus, he came in a body. He lived in a body. He died in a body. He was resurrected in a physical body. And this is important for us to hear because in our church culture, we're kind of taught like, okay, over here I have my soul and it's a good thing. And then over here I have my body and it's not a great thing. Like I have to fix it or control it. But to the biblical authors, these were one in the same. It's a whole package. You are not you without your body. Our bodies are good. They are the core of our identity. They are how we are known. That's why there is no substitute for being physically in person with people because our bodies are how we are known and how we get to be known. And so our bodies are a good, good gift. And this is really hard for us because we're not taught to value our bodies. From an early age, whether it's magazines and media, we're taught that our bodies need alteration. And if you live in a black body, a brown body, a big body, an aging body, a disabled body, you're taught that some bodies are better than other bodies. Just think about how many of our New Year's resolutions have to do with our bodies. I'm gonna diet, I'm gonna lose weight, I'm going to start running. I'm going to be more productive this year. And these aren't necessarily bad things. But for some of us, instead of wrestling our bodies into the shape that we think it needs to be, into the identity we think it should be, we need to take a step back and listen to what our bodies are telling us. Did you know that all pain, both emotional and mental, is all processed in your body the exact same way. It's all processed as physical pain. That's why when you go through great emotional turmoil or if you're under a lot of stress, you get tired. It's because your body is recognizing that you have just been through a physical fight. How many of us have listened to our bodies this year? What is your body telling you? Where are we in pain? See, in verse 25, it says, When the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Let's pause a second here. Why do we think that God was there? It's to bless him. 
right? God didn't wake up that day and go, oh, man, I can use some exercise. (laughs) I'm going to go wrestle Jacob. That's not how this went. See, God showed up to wrestle with Jacob. He shows up because he wants to bless him, and he's physically wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob just isn't getting it. And so he touches this spot, and this spot is actually attended on the inner thigh, and it's known if you punch, if you injure, if you dislocate this spot, you will be in an immense amount of pain. But Jacob doesn't listen to what his body is telling him. Instead, he clings onto his opponent and he says, I won't let you go unless you give me what I want. Because Jacob doesn't know. He doesn't know that the one he's wrestling with is not the one he needs to fight. He doesn't know that the one he is so desperately clinging onto is already there to bless him. And there are some of us here today that we are so desperately clinging on to what we think we need that we haven't even realized we're hurting. The really good news for those of us hurting today is that God's going to engage you where you're at. Because see, God showed up personally, and he wrestled with Jacob. Because see, he knew Jacob's heart. Jacob was not in a place where he could freely receive a blessing. His entire life, Jacob had been taught that if you want to be blessed, if you want things to go well for you, you need to take it. And God knew that Jacob was going to fight him. And yet he chose to engage. He chose to wrestle with Jacob because he knew that that's what Jacob needed because a new identity is a physical process. And so for some of us here today, that physical process looks like just show up. Just be with people. It might mean putting actions to our good intentions. It might be facing our fears. And for others of us, that physical process might mean taking a step back and learning to just listen to your body, to just listen to where you're hurting and trusting God enough to just let go. Because our God is a good God who's already prepared to bless us. So taking on a new identity, it is a physical process. The last thing that we can learn from Jacob's story is that new identity is a process. You know, immediately following this passage, Jacob ends up meeting Esau, and it says that they flung their arms around each other and they wept. It seems that God was wrestling a new identity in Esau as much as he was Jacob. But it's a process. It's a process that should bring heart change. It should be reconciliation. It should change our lives. But it is a process. We're still human. And there are some things that aren't going to change. 
Jacob was still a horrible husband and father. He caused lots of hurt. I don't think he ever earned that number one dad mug. And you know, in this passage, it actually says that after his wrestling match, he walked away limping, but then it's never talked about again. And so we actually don't know if he had a limp his whole life or if it was healed later on. Because you see, with God's help, there are things in our lives that we're going to be able to move forward. And then there's other things that we're probably going to limp with for the rest of our life. But we can't let the limp keep us from walking. Because see, when we become Christians, we're saying, I am dedicating my life to a process. And it is a process of taking on a Christ-like identity. And that identity, that process should bring heart change. It should bring reconciliation. It should change the way we live our lives. But it is a process. And sometimes we just need to sit in the grace of knowing that we are in process. Invite the worship team back up. You know, at the beginning of my message, I joked about how my name means white little bird. But it was sometime in my youth, I ended up at a Bible camp. And okay, I was not a nice kid. I'm the youngest of three. And I like to, you know, put my youth leaders on the spot a little bit. And this guy, he's giving this wonderful message about how every name is important and has meaning to God. And kids are shouting out their names. And he might give a Bible verse or an interpreted meaning. And I'm like, yeah, well... <laughs> My name means little bird. Find some meaning in that. And I probably enjoyed watching him squirm a little too much. And when it had been quiet for about half a minute too long, it actually was one of my fellow students that just said, God cares for even the sparrows. How much more does he care for you? Identity change. And today is an invitation into the process of identity change. There are some of us here today where you are in desperate need of a name change. Or maybe you're here today and for the first time you're realizing you are hurting, you are in pain. And I think there's the last group of us where you just need to sit right now and the grace of knowing that you're in process. Wherever you're at today, just let God come and engage you where you're at. Because our God is the same God now as he was then. And he's a God that is already prepared to bless us. Let's pray. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you that you love us and give us kindness that we don't deserve. We thank you that your blessings are not based on performance, but by your grace. And we thank you that you are a kind God. 
And so God, wherever we're at right now, whatever we need to face this new year, God, we just ask you to come and to meet us where we're at. Would you engage us and give us the new identity that we're longing for, that you are so eagerly waiting to give us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, that is it for today's message. We thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at thevinegoshen.org. We'll see you next time.